We ask you to bear with us today as our sinuses are experimenting on our patients a little bit. It feels like that my forehead's about to come out, but uh, perhaps the Lord will enable us to set forth his truth. In Psalm chapter 148, verses 1 through 6, for our text today, and then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. We'll be speaking today on the power of God in creation. This will be the 29th message in our series of messages on the whole counsel of God. Reading first from Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, we read these words. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I notice that text very carefully. The point that we're interested in today is to see God's eternal power and Godhead in the creation of the world. Now let's go back to Psalm chapter 148, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise ye him all his angels, praise ye him all his host, praise ye him sun and moon, praise him all ye stars of light, praise him ye heavens of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created." He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Last week, we introduced ourselves to the subject of the power of God in general. We defined the word which is translated in the Bible as power, as meaning that God's power is that which is his ability to do what he wills to do. Not just his authority, but his ability to do what he wills to do. This is the definition of God's power, ability. We found out last week this distinguishes God from all the other false gods in that they cannot do what they would desire to do. We also found out that the first step that leads into idolatry is for a person, a church, a nation to turn its back on the conception of the omnipotence of God and begin worshiping a limited God, either in time or in space or ability. Now this morning we want to concentrate upon God's power in the creation of the world. A few weeks ago we saw the wisdom of God in the creation of the world. Now we want to go back and see the power of God in the creation of the world. We've read the account here in Romans and in Psalms in which that it is attributed to God that He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth and all things that are therein. He is the great first cause. That is, He's the eternal God, therefore matter or the universe has not always existed. And if we deny that, then it will not be long 
before that we will be involved in the theory of evolution which holds that the universe has always existed, therefore it is God. So it is either a divine being creating the heavens and the earth, or else the heavens and the earth have always been here, and that will be our God. Now you'll be worshiping one of those in practice. Either the God which created heaven and earth, or heaven and earth itself. God's power is first seen when we notice that the first thing we encounter in the Genesis account of creation is the power of God. If you will open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, where the Bible starts off, we read these words, "...in the beginning God created." The first thing that we're brought into face-to-face with is the fact that God created. The power of God moves upon the creation. And this bears out in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, where we just read that the invisible things of God... Now, God is a spirit. We cannot see Him. Then how do we know that He exists, Pastor? If I cannot see this God, how do I know there is a God? We're living in a scientific age, and science demands evidence. It demands something to be proved or before that a person will accept it. And yet, we're living in a skeptical age in which that many scientists scoff at the idea of God. So how would God prove His existence? Notice that in His revelation to man, He states, in the beginning, God created. If he would have man to believe in his existence, he would have man look to the creation which is an effect. Where did it come from? So that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. If you want to know whether or not there is a God, then God says, look around and figure out where the creation came from. See where all of this is here, and it's clearly seen. And because of that, you will be impressed at first sight with that of power. Something had to bring this into existence. So I would prove to you as my creature, prove to you I am a God by pointing you to what I have done. In the beginning, God created If you bring a man out of a cave in which that he has dwelt in absolute darkness all of his life, and you lead him out of that cave and introduce him, and the first thing he sees is the sun and all of the heavens, and then you cause him to look down at the earth and you see the plants and all of the green carpeting upon the earth, the first thing that man will be impressed with is the awesome power that brought this into being. He's never seen such a thing as this before. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are prone to because we are exposed to it all the time. We're prone to take the creation for granted. We're prone because we can look upon the sun, moon, and stars, and the plants and the animals and man. We're prone to take these things as just, well, they're just here. But you expose those things to a person who has never seen them before, and he will fall down in awe at the demonstration of the omnipotent power that had to bring all of these into existence. 
God's power is also seen in the fact that the world was made out of nothing. The world was made out of nothing. In the beginning, God created. That is, before His creation, nothing existed except Himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was all that existed before the creation, except we might put in there the angelic beings. Then as a result of this, God spoke, and out of nothing the heavens and the earth came into existence. God did not use self-existing matter. Now you say, well, what's, it, what's so important about that? Because this is where the modern theory of evolution comes in. It denies that God is eternal because it believes that matter has always existed. It teaches that because matter cannot be destroyed, that is, it, can, it may change forms from water to ice to vapor, but it cannot be destroyed, then modern science holds that matter has always existed. But God did not use self-existing matter to create the world. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created and he spoke, and out of nothing there came into existence matter, minerals, all of the organic creation that we have before us. Now, the secular humanist, that is, the person who does not believe in the divine, omnipotent God as revealed in the Bible, he will permit God to exist if he will just improve the matter that's around him. That is, the religious evolutionist or the secular evolutionist will, some of them, acknowledge that God exists, but they will not acknowledge that God created the heavens and earth out of nothing. They demand that matter be eternal as well as the Spirit of God being eternal. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is not long when a person holds to that view before God is left out of the picture altogether and one begins worshiping the creation more than the Creator. So we cannot attribute eternal matter as always being here. God's power is that which spoke and the world came forth from nothing. If we could but think of a bee or a fly, or even a grain of corn coming forth from nothing, it would be an astonishing thing. But when we see a grain of, when we see an ear of corn, we understand that because we know we planted, or somebody planted that grain of corn. When we see a bee or a fly, we know that that insect descended from another bee or a fly. And so the very fact that one of those could be created would be an awesome thing to us as man. But that's not just what God has limited himself to. God has not limited himself to the creation of bees and flies and grains of corn. Instead, we look around us and we see an amazing, powerful sun a sun that is some 93 million miles away, and yet it has such untold heat 
that it takes, I forget how many light years for the heat to even reach us here. The untold power of that Son, and that speaks of the untold power of God to bring in such an object as that. When we look around, we see the moon, and then we see the stars, each star being several times larger than the sun itself. So that we're not talking about God just creating one little fly out of nothing, but we're talking as we look around in the universe and we see all of the things that exist, and we see the omnipotent power to where that the psalmist would have us to bow down before God and say, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord for all of His wondrous works. Now, God's power is not only seen in that He created the world out of nothing, but His power is seen in the variety of His creation. We have specialists today. Uh, It seems like that you can't go to a doctor today unless you go to a specialist. The old MD is quickly passing from the scene. You've got a, if you have a problem in your ear, you dare not walk into a doctor and say, fix my ear. He, he says, no, I just, I just fix tongues or I just fix eyes. You have to go to somewhere else. By the time you get there, while well, you're deaf, trying to find out who works, specializes on the ear. But ladies and gentlemen, God is not just a specialist in one area. When we look around and we see the variety that exists within the creation, we're made to bow down in awe at the variety of power that had to bring all of these things into existence. Now, God, out of this matter, when he spake an inorganic matter came into being, out of that matter, he first made plant life. That is, plants have life. And they came forth from the dust of the ground, or the dirt. Out of that same dirt, he not only created life, but he created the animal creation which has sense. That is, it is distinct from that of the plant kingdom, in that animals have a sense or an awareness of their existence. Now, I know some of you, dear ladies, why you read some of the latest articles in science, and uh, I know you sing to your flowers, and they're supposed to grow better. Or else uh, you tell them you love them, and your flowers will grow better. But still, there is a distinction between the plant life and that of the animal creation. The plant life has life, but it has no sense. But out of the same dust of the earth, God created the animal life. With all of its variations, look out today across the world. Get a geographic magazine, National Geographic, and look at all of the many variations there are within the animal kingdom. And you will see that in the account of the book of Genesis, God created each one of these species after their kind. After their kind, after their kind, so that it is God which is the author. It is God which is the one that spake, and each of these individual animals came into their own design, and as a result, give praise unto God. But out of that same dust of the ground, God not only created plant life, He not only created animal life, but He created man. 
Man is different from the plants in that man has life, the land, the plants have life. Man is different, though, from the animals. The animals have sense. Man has an awareness. But here is the extreme difference. Man has reason. He has capacities to think which the animal creation do not have and which the plant creation do not have. Now look at the power of God in this. Out of that same dust of the ground, He created plants, He created animals, and He created man with a rational being to be able to think and to reason according to the laws which He would give him. Sometimes on vacation... I like to go to some of the places where that the glass makers blow the glass. Anybody ever go to one of those places and watch how they form them out of the, you know what they start with? With ashes and sand. And out of that ashes and sand, in the power and the wisdom of that individual, they are able to produce some of the most beautiful pieces of glassware that we can imagine. But look what they came out of. And as we stand watching those individuals, then because of their workmanship, their wisdom and their ability to do these things, we give them glory. That is, we say, oh, how wise and what ability they have. And this is how that when God created the heavens and the earth, He did this in so many areas of variation that we have to stand by and say, Oh God, how wonderful and manifest are thy works. If a glass blower is worthy of glory because of what he's able to do, then how much more should the eternal God receive our praise and our adoration because of the many variations which he has brought to pass in his creation? Now, God's power is seen, again, in that He created the world without assistance. God didn't have to call on you and I to create the world. He didn't have to say, well, I wonder if Jim Gables could help with some ideas on what I ought to do. In fact, uh, He didn't even bother to, to ask me. What do you think about that? With all my wisdom... God never took me into his counsel and said, now, how should I do this? And not only didn't he ask my advice, but he didn't ask my assistance either. God didn't say, now, I need Jim Gables in order to create the moon up here. And without him, then I'm not going to be able to get that moon created. No, we read in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 24 these words. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, He that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth forth abroad the earth by myself. God didn't use instruments in his creation. Now, the Jews, they deny this, but they deny it not because of the fact that they would like to, but when we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, 
These words, let us make man in our image. And the Jews, of course, do not believe in the divine trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet they see a plurality there. So they say that in order to get around the Christian teaching that there is a divine Godhead, they say that God used the angels to create man. And what God was talking about there when he said, let us make man in our image, was that God was asking the advice of the angels and the assistance of the angels in making man. But that will not stand if you'll look carefully throughout that account. Let us make man in our image. The divine God created the heavens and the earth without the assistance of instruments. Could Willie Mays have become the ball player that he became without a baseball bat? Could he? No, he couldn't do it. Could a carpenter carry out his trade without a hammer? or a rule, or a saw? Could a brick mason perform the mighty tasks that they do without, I forget what you call those things, not a scalpel, is it? What? Trial. Trial, yeah, trial. All right. It shows you how many brick houses I've put up. I'd like to see some of yours, too, though. <laughs> could, could that individual become skilled in his profession without an instrument? Could a painter produce a masterpiece without a brush? No, all of the creatures are dependent upon some instrument in order to demonstrate our abilities. But when we come to the mighty God, we read in the Bible that He did not use instruments to create the world. Shall he which created the world need an instrument when all he has to do is create an instrument? You see, God has but to speak, and there are instruments there. And if he's pleased to work through those, then he will do so. But the mighty God created the heavens and the earth without a hammer, without a trowel, without a pen, without a saw, without a ball bat. In fact, he created the heavens and the earth out of nothing without any instrument apart from the fact of saying, let there be light. And from the power of that word, the heavens and the earth came into existence. Now, that's an awesome power, beloved, that we're dealing with. An awesome ability to do what the divine God is pleased to do. God's power is seen. In the fact that he created the world by a simple act of his will. He said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, Let there be light. And the Bible says there was light. Do you find it hard to do some things? I'm not the most skilled in several areas. And when I, especially in the realm of carpentry, and what it could take a carpenter 30 minutes to get done, it'll take me five or six days to work my way through, and then I'm ashamed of what the, what the end product is. Because I don't have the ability to do those things. 
But, beloved, God's power is seen in the fact that He created the world by but speaking. And it came into existence. Notice in our text that we read in Psalm chapter 148, verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Listen. For He commanded and they were created. As it is all within my power to point to my child and say, Sit down. And the child sits. Any way he's supposed to. Alright? He doesn't always do it. Why? Because I'm limited in my wisdom and within my power. But when I speak, there is an authority that goes forth from that voice. But when God spoke, all of the heavens and the earth came into creation. And as a result, we are made to be astonished at the wisdom and the power of God in bringing these things into existence. As a result, because of this mighty power, the creation is called or described as a calling. Invite your attention to Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. God has but to call And what he calls comes and stands before him as he designs to have come and stand before him. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, God gave a promise to Abraham one day. Abraham was an old man. He couldn't have any more children. His wife was an old woman. She couldn't have any more children. Her womb was barren. It was beyond the natural strength of either to bring forth a son. But now look. God gave Abraham a promise. Now, here's what kind of a God that Abraham served in Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. In other words, all God had to do was to speak to that barren womb of Sarah, and there was a miracle take place. A child was conceived. And if that take place there, all that this miracle-working God must do is but to speak, and the heavens and the earth come into place as to where He has ordered them and how He has ordered them. And you wonder, well, how do all the stars and the planets stay in their orbit? Where did they get there? They are there because the divine God spoke, and they came into existence. He which is able to raise the dead. Now, some of you may be here this morning, you may be a little skeptical about the resurrection of the dead. Can God raise the dead? That is, if we take an individual out and put them underneath the sod, and 2,000 years later, all the remains of their body is gone. Or maybe an individual is buried at the sea and he is eaten by the monsters of the deep. Maybe some lion devours an individual and the matter which they existed in is completely transposed into other forms of matter and scattered throughout the creation again. The winds carry it here and so forth. Can God bring that back together? Now, if you're having a problem with that, Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and deal with that, and you won't have any problem with the resurrection. If the God which can but speak and call 
to heavens and earth and to existence and which can but speak and form within the womb of an elderly lady, a child, and which can but speak and bring into the womb of a virgin his only begotten Son, then the same God which has that power is the same God which can speak and call back the particles that comprised our bodies and change them and transform them into the likeness of his own Son. God be praised because of his mighty power and his mighty ability to do that which he pleased. Now, I'm bringing this to a close. What instruction can we then learn from this? Two, that we would bring in passing quickly. If God be all-powerful, what can we learn? The first is that since his power is designed to create praise from the creature, praise ye the Lord. The person who has a weak idol will not give much praise or worship unto that idol. But the greater the God, the more worthy of praise. Within your heart, young people, adults, do you adore and praise this mighty God who but spoke and all the heavens and the earth came into existence? Can you share that with your fellow man and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation? Or are you ashamed of that God when you stand out before someone who has a DD behind their name and uh, they supposedly have all the answers and they begin showing how that the world came through a long process of this and that and the other? Do you shun back and say, well, this is just not my class? My friend, the omnipotent God will still be creating long after those individuals are dead and gone and their metabolism has gone back to the dust of the earth. Long after they shall be forgotten and the praise of men has honored them for their achievements, the omnipotent God will still be in business. Praise Him, for He alone is worthy. And then the final thing for reproof this morning... If this be true, that God is, has eternal power, then it renders all men inexcusable for their actions. Someone says, well, Pastor, I just don't believe that some people are responsible for what they do. Now, we're not talking about the mentally insane and things along this line that due to physical imperatives that they do not have all their mental faculties. But someone says, here's a person over here in Africa, and they've never heard a Christian missionary. I just don't believe that God will hold them responsible for their actions. Now, wait just a minute. God doesn't have to condemn a person just because they rejected Jesus Christ. These individuals who never hear of the light of the gospel of Christ shun light every day. And here it is. Where is it? God's eternal power and Godhead. The individual who never hears a preacher has a preacher preaching to him every day. There's a creation. There's a creation. 
And that creation came from an omnipotent, powerful God. And Romans declares that when a person understands that God exists because of his creation, and he's aware of that, that they are without excuse. Now, why? Because that when they knew God, they knew his existence. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, here's why every man and woman is a responsible being. In that they have the creation of God there to prove the existence of God. But when a man sees that light, instead of seeking after that light, whereby more light would be given, the man turns against that light and begins worshiping a tree somewhere in the midst of the jungle. Instead of recognizing that it is God, the eternal God, to which he owes his very existence in the creation, he bows down before some old dead tree and attributes to that tree as being his God. And God says, you're without excuse. You have no excuse. So that in the final day of judgment, God shall call all men before him and judge them according to the light wherein they have been given. May it stand to reprove any here this morning that you may say, well, I don't believe in Christ and I don't believe in the Bible, but I believe that just so long as I do this or that, that's all God's going to require. Now, wait a minute. The first step into idolatry is denying the eternal power and Godhead of God. And when you limit God, you've already said, stay away from me. I want no more light. And you're rendered unexcusable for your actions. But another thing, you can't go out of here this morning saying you've never heard of the name of Jesus Christ, can you? No, you can't. You've learned about it in the songs that we've sung. You've heard it referred to in the process of our message about him coming and being born of a virgin and dying on a cruel cross in the place of sinners. And you say, I'm not going to do anything with that. To not embrace that great truth is to do exactly what the heathen does with the sun, moon, and stars. Instead of saying, there must be a God, because look at the effect. He bows down and begins worshiping the sun, moon, and stars, and he's accountable for his actions. May God impress upon us the truths of his eternal power that would keep us out of idolatry. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that your son might be glorified for his great work in that he has created all things and for thy pleasure they were created. That because of these things we hear this morning that know you as our own Lord and Savior, we come to you today giving you honor and praise for your mighty power in not only creating the heavens and the earth, but in creating within us the ability to believe in your Son and to lay hold upon the beauty that's in the gospel. We pray today that if there are those here that need this great work of salvation, we ask that you might work accordingly in their life. 
And we pray that there are those here that are seeking to know what it means to be converted. We ask that you might give them light, enable them to repent and believe in your Son. There are those here today which are desiring a closer walk with you, that they might renew and restore their fellowship with you. We pray that they might be humbled by the awesome power in which they live and move and have their being. May you bless your word today. May it not return unto the void, but may it accomplish that which is pleasing in your sight. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.